Section 7 of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Peter. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. The Fear of the Film. Long lists are being given of particular cases in which children have suffered in spirits or health from alleged horrors of the kinema. One child is said to have had a fit after seeing a film, another to have been sleepless with some fixed idea taken from a film, another to have killed his father with a carving knife through having seen a knife used in a film. This may possibly have occurred, though, if it did, anybody of common sense would prefer to have details about that particular child rather than about that particular picture. But what is supposed to be the practical moral of it, in any case? Is it that the young should never see a story with a knife in it? Are they to be brought up in complete ignorance of the Merchant of Venice because Shylock flourishes a knife for a highly disagreeable purpose? Are they never to hear of Macbeth, lest it should slowly dawn upon their trembling intelligence that it is a dagger that they see before them? It would be more practical to propose that a child should never see a real carving-knife, and still more practical that he should never see a real father. All that may come, the era of preventive and prophetic science has only begun. We must not be impatient." that when we come to the cases of morbid panic after some particular exhibition, there is yet more reason to clear the mind of Kant. It is perfectly true that a child will have the horrors after seeing some particular detail. It is quite equally true that nobody can possibly predict what that detail will be. It certainly need not be anything so obvious as a murder or even a knife. I should have thought anybody who knew anything about children, or for that matter anybody who had been a child, would know that these nightmares are quite incalculable. The hint of horror may come by any chance in any connection. If the kinema exhibited nothing but views of country vicarages or vegetarian restaurants, the ugly fancy is as likely to be stimulated by these things as by anything else. It is like seeing a face on the carpet. It makes no difference that it is the carpet at the vicarage. I will give two examples from my own most personal circle— I could give hundreds from hearsay. I know a child who screamed steadily for hours if he had been taken past the Albert Memorial. This was not a precocious precision or excellence in his taste in architecture, nor was it a premature protest against all that gimcrack German culture which nearly entangled us in the downfall of the barbaric tyranny. It was the fear of something which he himself described with lurid simplicity as the cow with the India-rubber tongue. It sounds rather a good title for a creepy short story. At the base of the Albert Memorial, I may explain for those who have never enjoyed that monument, are four groups of statuary representing Europe, Asia, Africa, and America. America especially is very overwhelming. Born onward on a snorting bison who plunges forward in a fury of Western progress, and is surrounded with Red Indians, Mexicans, and all sorts of pioneers, oh, pioneers armed to the teeth. The child passed this transatlantic tornado with complete coolness and indifference. Europe, however, is seated on a bull so mild as to look like a cow. The tip of its tongue is showing, and happened to be discoloured by weather, 
suggesting, I suppose, a living thing coming out of the dead marble. Now nobody could possibly foretell that a weather stain would occur in that particular place and fill that particular child with that particular fancy. Nobody is likely to propose meeting it by forbidding graven images like the Muslims and the Jews. Nobody has said as yet that it is bad morals to make a picture of a cow. Nobody has even pleaded that it is bad manners for a cow to put its tongue out. These things are utterly beyond calculation. They are also beyond counting, for they occur all over the place, not only to morbid children, but to any children. I knew this particular child very well, being a rather older child myself at the time. He certainly was not congenitally timid or feeble-minded, for he risked going to prison to expose the Marconi scandal, and died fighting in the Great War. Here is another example out of scores. A little girl, now a very normal and cheerful young lady, had an insomnia of insane terror entirely arising from the lyric of Little Bo Peep. After an inquisition like that of the confessor or the psychoanalyst, it was found that the word bleating had some obscure connection in her mind with the word bleeding. There was thus perhaps an added horror in the phrase heard, and hearing rather than seeing the flowing of blood. Nobody could possibly provide against that sort of mistake. Nobody could prevent the little girl from hearing about sheep any more than the little boy from hearing about cows. We might abolish all nursery rhymes, and as they are happy and popular and used with universal success, it is very likely that we shall. But the whole point of the mistake about that phrase is that it might have been a mistake about any phrase. We cannot foresee all the fancies that might arise, not only out of what we say, but of what we do not say. We cannot avoid promising a child a caramel lest he should think we say cannibal, or conceal the very word hill, lest it should sound like hell. All the catalogues and calculations offered us by the party of caution in this controversy are therefore quite worthless. It is perfectly true that examples can be given of a child being frightened of this, that, or the other, but we can never be certain of his being frightened of the same thing twice. It is not on the negative side, by making lists of vetoes, that the danger can be avoided, it can never indeed be entirely avoided. We can only fortify the child on the positive side by giving him health and humour and a trust in God, not omitting, what will much mystify the moderns, an intelligent appreciation of the idea of authority, which is only the other side of confidence, and which alone can suddenly and summarily cast out such devils. But we may be sure that most modern people will not look at it in this way. They will think it more scientific to attempt to calculate the incalculable. So soon as they have realized that it is not so simple as it looks, they will try to map it out, however complicated it may be. When they discover that the terrible detail need not be a knife, but might just as well be a fork, they will only say there is a fork complex as well as a knife complex. And that increase in complexity of complexes is the net in which liberty will be taken. Instead of seeing in the odd cases of the cow's tongue or the bleeding sheep the peril of their past generalizations, they will see them only as starting points for new generalizations. They will get yet another theory out of it, and they will begin acting on the theory long before they have done thinking about it. They will start out with some new and crude conception that sculpture has made children scream or that nursery rhymes have made children sleepless, 
and the thing will be a clause in a program of reform before it has begun to be a conclusion in a serious study of psychology that is the practical problem about modern liberty which the critics will not see of which eugenics is one example and all this amateur child psychology is another so long as an old morality was in black and white like a chessboard even a man who wanted more of it made white was certain that no more of it would be made black now he is never certain what vices may not be released but neither is he certain what virtues may be forbidden even if he did not think it wrong to run away with a married woman he knew that his neighbors only thought it wrong because the woman was married they did not think it wrong to run away with a red-haired woman or a left-handed woman or a woman subject to headaches but when we let loose a thousand eugenical speculations all adopted before they are verified and acted on even before they are adopted he is just as likely as not to find himself separated from the woman for those or any other reasons similarly there was something to be said for restrictions even rather puritanical and provincial restrictions upon what children should read or see so long as they fenced in certain fixed departments like sex or sensational tortures but when we begin to speculate on whether other sensations may not stimulate as dangerously as sex those other sensations may be as closely controlled as sex when let us say we hear that the eye and brain are weakened by the rapid turning of wheels as well as by the most revolting torturing of men we have come into a world in which cartwheels and steam engines may become as obscene as racks and thumbscrews in short so long as we combine ceaseless and often reckless scientific speculation with rapid and often random social reform the result must inevitably be not anarchy but ever-increasing tyranny there must be a ceaseless and almost mechanical multiplication of things forbidden the resolution to cure all the ills that flesh is heir to combined with the guesswork about all possible ills that flesh and nerve and brain cell may be heir to these two things conducted simultaneously must inevitably spread a sort of panic of prohibition scientific imagination and social reform between them will quite logically and almost legitimately have made us slaves this seems to me a very clear a very fair and a very simple point of public criticism and i am much mystified about why so many publicists cannot even see what it is but take refuge in charges of anarchism which firstly are not true and secondly have nothing to do with it end of section seven